be admitted after the guests check in. Lick it down, going south. Feeling real fine, feeling real good. Slip my dick inside the wood. I don't know what that means now, but I'm gonna show you how, how, how. Meow. You know, I didn't think that I would miss being heavily drugged and being stuck Wait. in a hospital, but kind of miss it now. Weirdly enough, I don't know why. Welcome back. Motel Hell. Oh. Unfortunately, I survived. I am Ben the Beardo. And sitting across from me is the one, the only... Dak Fatty. I wasn't sure if you were going to introduce yourself. I thought I thought maybe 2020 you were just like, I don't want to introduce myself anymore. You have to guess. He's got to do it. <laughs> no, nothing's changed. So... Yeah, for those who are still interested in this <laughs> alleged podcast, uh, we're, we're back. It's been a couple months hiatus. As we said previously, we expected to take a break. Ben Ben was going, going in for the big stab. I could have died. Yeah, could have died, nearly died, almost died. Yeah, maybe. And had had issues and we're gonna get into it. but yeah, we're back. so this is this is 2020 hindsight. It's 2020. So we're we're here and we're we're ready to be loud and proud. <laughs> Just generally, I saw where your brain was going, and then you immediately diverted. That's pretty great. It's pretty great. It's called wordplay. It's the little things I missed about this podcast. I don't want to say I'm a rapper, but I I won't say that I'm not a rhymer. So obviously, we have to wrap up the loose ends of the Shinya Sukamoto series, but we're not doing that today. Because Dick Fetty is lazy. Yeah, and I'm a coward. So we will finish that. It's going to be minimally one more part. Probably just one more. Maybe maybe two more. Maybe six more. No, just one or two. This is just the podcast now. Yeah. But, so we're not doing that. We're going to do our best and worst of 2019. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So I thought we would talk about life events first and that type of thing, just general excellence of the year. Do you want to start with the hard or go with the good? You mean the worst stuff? Yeah. I guess we could talk about that first, get it out the way. Yeah. Do you have any worst stuff you want to you throw down? Uh, yes. So there is bad stuff I'd start with. The first one would be my friend Keith dying. Uh, that sucked. So for those who know um, Taint or Mania or the many other projects he was involved with. You've probably already heard the news if you know the project, but he passed away in November at the end of the month, and uh, he was diagnosed in September, late September, with cancer in his colon and liver, and first got a bile bag uh, drain tube thing, and they drained the bile from his liver, and he didn't have health insurance, but eventually he was able to get some kind of coverage to help with his chemo, which then he started in October. And it seemed like he, he was very, he was very talkative for somebody who seemed like they were going to die anytime soon and was very positive about it. We all thought, uh, at least I thought like maybe he was going to make it. And then, uh, he didn't, I talked to him like three days before he died and that sucked. 
part of what sucks about Keith dying is he was a like he was I would consider a friend, but also I mean he was a huge influence on me and a ton of people and just like somebody who's very active in the noise um and industrial and all that stuff and uh it's I don't know. A lot of people it was interesting to see just how many people had things to say about him that were beyond like, oh, another hero passes type of stuff. And it was unexpected and fast, so it made it a lot worse. But yeah, I was uh, surprisingly, well, I don't know how to put it, but like it affected me more than I expected it to. And it was just shitty the whole way through. And yeah, I'm like, there may, I made well, it doesn't matter. So, so that was definitely, um, that was that was bad and then obviously your surgery being sick and stuck in the hospital a bunch was a pretty lousy experience so yeah uh so some fun experiences i had while there um we've talked on the episode before about how neither of us uh drink or do drugs anymore mm. and it turns out when they remove your spleen two-thirds of your pancreas give you a hernia surgery and also remove a softball-sized cyst uh they're gonna put you on drugs yeah and um, it, it, it was it was a hilarious moment for me that came from a bad moment. They had me on Dilaudid, and I don't know if anyone out there has had that shit, but hoo-wee. And they had a button for me that I could just press, essentially, every six minutes. I thought it was seven. Six. It was six. I'm, I'm, I'm an addict. It was six. <laughs> and um, good old Dick Fetty and uh, Flex Lexa got to get me high, which I thought was just so funny. Yeah, that was good. The yeah. first hospital visit was fine. It was all the subsequent ones. Yeah, and the they, problems. Just got, they just got worse. I lost about two days when I went in there. I don't yeah. remember the first two days. I gave Dick Fetty a really fucking, almost like a like a drunk dial, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. right after anesthesia, he called me and, and was incoherently fucked up. And was like, you can come visit me, right? You can come to the hospital, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Ben, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Gonna come see me when I'm dying, baby. I was like, I'll be there. Yeah, it must be pretty gay for you that you're the first person I called. I mean, my wife was there, so. Yeah. But yeah, so they did all that, and then uh, apparently they left me open too long. I got an an infection, and w they were like, "Yeah, come into the ER." So I drove all the way out to Center City. I got there. They put me in one waiting room. At this point, I had a hundred and three fever. Then this hospital that we we're at, the ER itself has its own waiting room inside of it. So you're in another waiting room surrounded by hospital beds and, you know, people just suffering. And they'll take you from there to get, like, x-rays and stuff before they have a bed for you. And then I ended up blacking out and I'm turning to my wife. And I'm like, are we here for you? Why? What's going on? Why are we here? And I don't recommend, I don't recommend um, having a fever of 104, but, uh, you know free drug trip i guess because i don't remember any of it apparently i was i was wiling out i passed out on a toilet and uh mariah my wife had to scream at people to get me off of it and uh yeah then that was another week in the hospital and then there were several other hospital stays and er stays they took care of that i have a goop drain in me which i guess we can show some pictures on the instagram of it's pretty gross yeah. Um, it looks like pot roast gravy coming out of him. Not as much anymore. Yeah. Now I have a lot of, like, solid shit coming out. Ooh. Uh, that drain's been replaced several times. 
and I don't know if anyone's ever had a, a wire pushed into an open cavity in their body just to like break stuff up. It's awful. Oh my God, it's so bad. Luckily, my brother is a doctor of the variety who deals with that sort of thing, so I've gotten pretty good care for that. And then I got a really bad fever and got really sick again, went to the hospital around us, then they transferred me out to Center City, and Center City pretty much called me a pussy and that there was nothing wrong with me. Knew I had a staph infection, but they were like, oh, it's probably just contamination. And three days later, I was in the hospital and could have gotten MRSA because I actually had a staph infection. Don't think I can sue anybody. Don't really plan on it. Seems like a lot of work. But uh, all in all, don't recommend. Yeah. Uh, did get a bunch of uh, drugs pumped into me to the point where I embarrassed myself several times mm. and fell. And I also shared a hospital room with a gentleman who... This, I think, is funny. Who didn't speak English. He spoke Arabic and a little bit of French. And my first night there, when I was admitted, I'm trying to sleep. They they really just had me on pain management. They hadn't put me on a bunch of other stuff yet. And I'm, I'm about to fall asleep. Then all of a sudden I hear this gentleman's phone. And I'm sure it was just because he couldn't sleep. I know he didn't mean any harm by it. Because I ended up talking to him a bit via his daughter just the loudest Arabic internet television you could ever imagine just ringing out through the darkness <laughs> but I ended up um, it, it was kind of nice because I broke through a translation with him because his daughter showed up and I talked to him a little bit with her translating and he I don't know what was wrong with him but he had something wrong with his leg and the nurses really wanted to get him to get up and walking, but he was scared. So I told him, I was like, dude, I'll, I'll walk with you. And I had his, his, his daughter translate. And, like, he actually got up and he, he walked the, the hallways with me and he hugged me when he left. He was a very sweet man. His daughter tried to feed me and I was like, no, they're not allowing me to eat. But uh, it was a very interesting and awful experience. Uh, zero out of ten stars. Yeah, big of true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds awful, and I hope I don't have to get deal with all that shit. So. Yes, I do. And you know what? I guess we'll post it on the Instagram just because I think it's funny. A buddy of mine brought me a gourd mm. that just hung out with me for, I think it was my second hospital. Yeah, it was my second hospital stay when I had the first infection. I named him uh, James Gordon. Mm-hmm. You know, like Commissioner Gordon. I got it. But it's a play on words. Yeah. Gordon. That's the humor you come here for, people. Yep. That's what you don't pay us for. So we'll post a picture of me snuggling up to him like a big old peen. Yeah, you guys have already seen the picture of the Beardo in, right after his first surgery. So. Yeah, it looks pretty bleak. It is. It was. Yeah. So. I lost about 35 pounds. <laughs> yeah. That's one way to do Clothes it. Clothes fit me again. Yeah. So, also things that sucked... I have a friend who owns a campground in outside of Wilkes-Barre in Pennsylvania. He shot himself in the head over the summer up on top of the mountain and, uh, you know, died. So that sucks. And I don't think we'll be camping in that area anymore. It just seems kind of weird. Yeah. And he ran like a, it was a whole big private campground thing next to a big state park. 
and that was like our thing. We went camping there multiple times a year. So probably take a hard pass in the future. That was shitty. Also, not quite on the same tier, but really pretty unpleasant. <laughs> not to trivialize suicide and death. Jesus. <laughs> but uh, I saw Bird Box earlier at the beginning of this year, and that was incredibly painful. Wow. <laughs> that's in That's in all of this stuff that we're talking that's in the worst of the year. Well it was. Yeah. Um I got I got I got a couple. Okay. Uh unfortunately, on my second wedding anniversary, mm. my wife's aunt passed. Mm. Which the reason I wanted to do this stuff first, just so you guys know, is so we can get all the really depressing shit out of the way, and sure, then we can make yeah, fun rather, of things again. Rather than end on a bleak note, yeah. My wife's aunt passed um, due to substance abuse issues, and just know that, like, Dick Fetty and I are both sober, and there is help out there if you want it. So, sure. definitely, if you can, go out and get that. She was a good woman. She was good thing none of her family listens to this podcast uh she was one of the few people on that side of her family i actually liked uh who wasn't terribly racist or anti-semitic or up their own ass and it's just it's just really sad she left alone she left behind five kids and it was really awful and if anyone's been on tagged photos of me on instagram if you guys follow me on instagram on easter sunday my eldest cat died. We don't know why, but we just, he just, we don't know how old he actually was because he was a rescue, but we just found him just laying there on the bathroom floor, just stiff. And it was really awful and scary because I was still asleep and my wife comes running upstairs in our house screaming, my baby, my baby, oh God, my baby. So I think my son is, like, something's awful with my, like, terrible going on with my son. It was still very awful, but yeah, unfortunately we had a, a little boy cross the rainbow bridge. So I missed that cat. Fair. I, I couldn't remember, and, but I think didn't Jake pass at the beginning of last year? It was in March, I think. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. So that sucked. He was another, one of our friends who couldn't stay sober and pass from the disease. And then we just both know, I think, a lot of people who just can't get it together, and that's always depressing. But that's just part of what we do. So. That's just what it is, Yeah, unfortunately. So, I mean, otherwise, you know, I think my year was pretty good. There, It's always going to be some shitty shit that happens. So, yeah. I mean, I did find out something interesting. I did lose the last of my grandparents this year, but my grandmother, when she died... She died on the exact same date as her late husband. Oh. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's weird. It's so weird. My dad told me yesterday. He's like, yeah, grandma died on the same day as grandpa. And I never... My my grandfather died when I was, like, a baby, so I don't really remember him. But, you know, I was like, well, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. I hope you and I die on the same day. That'd be well, when we have a murder-suicide, we will. Well, it's just double suicide. I'll be down. Okay. Tight. So, yeah, that's all the shitty shit, right? I mean, that's not all of it, but that's the important. Those are the that's, big, that's most the of big, it. The big bummers, if I could call them that. Yeah. A lot of that, you know, is is some of it is stuff that ended up skewing or scheduling for the podcast, but, 
you guys are still here and you love us, right? <laughs> please, <laughs> please love me. Please love us. I'm so... So sad. All right, let's start with the good good. What do you got? Um, I kind of mentioned this in our last year's roundup, but I became a dad. That was pretty cool. Well, you didn't become a dad last year. Yeah, but I kind of mentioned it. That you were going to be a dad? Yeah. Well, you're a dad now. So I guess I just was like... Daddy. Pretty stoked about the fact that I didn't have to pull out once. Yeah. But now I do have a kid. He's about to be a year old in the good old 2020. And he's funny as fuck and likes horror movies and sad music. Sure does. Yeah. 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 He's a handsome boy who's got a wrestler's body. Yeah. So. Yeah. He likes to scream in public, which I think is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Uh, we were looking at apartments yesterday. And there was this glass table that he kept just fucking slapping the shit out of. And my wife kept trying to get him to stop, and she'd put her hand on the table, and he'd just grab it and move it, and then keep slapping it. And I was like, man, That's a good boy. I want you to break it, but like, I don't want you to hurt yourself because you're my kid, but man, that shit would be funny. Mm. True. Well, I uh, my, my good good was that I got engaged to our former co-host still skeleton in the bathtub flex lexa it turns out in new jersey it is legal to marry a corpse she doesn't know they don't know she's a corpse no we've mentioned she's dead no but the fucking state doesn't know oh, they don't listen to this yeah okay, most right. of our listeners aren't even in this country i'm pretty sure that's probably true so yeah so we got engaged on halloween and then we had dinner, banged it out, and watched Sounds of the Lambs. You guys so, are so gay. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, then the other big one for me was I sold my car. I used to have a Mitsubishi Lancer, which I loved and had for four years. And I sold it to buy my buddy's souped-up WRX, which has like modified intake and exhaust and tuned and this, that, and the other. Uh, but it was a stick, and I have never... I drove the stick three times before... Well, four, if you count the time in Russia. Um, before I bought the car. And then just had to trial by file... Trial by fire, learn how to trial drive. Trial by file. File. <laughs> and uh, it's been a heck of an experience. The first five months were super stressful. Yeah, every time I saw you, you were sweating heavily. Oh, that's not true, but... I mean, it was, it was just, I tried by not, like, basically I spent a long time trying to learn the car and how to drive it safely before I tried to get on it. And the thing that I've learned that was sort of counterintuitive is that the car really needs to be driven a little bit harder in order to drive it easier. It's much easier to shift cleanly when you're accelerating fast and decelerating fast and all this stuff. Like, not super fast, but it's just funny. It's like, you kind of got to get on it. And I was babying it too much for too long. And starting in around the time I quit smoking, which was the other, one of the other good things that happened, mid-September I started taking it out to the deep South Jersey and driving it to the sort of swamp areas and backcountry and all that late at night to get a feel for it without any traffic. And it has since blossomed into my new strange addiction, which is on Friday nights I go out and I take my car out on dates and we drive to like... Two in the morning and do these big turbo pulls and all this stuff. And, and totally not on grinder all night. <laughs> no. Meeting dudes in, you know, closed yeah. 
elementary school parking lots. They're not lots. closed. That's not safe. You gotta have multiple exits if you just mean the streets. Well, you know, they're not currently open. The oh yeah, school, yeah, 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 yeah. The schools are closed. That's true. So yeah, it's been it's been a whole learning experience. It's been sometimes really stressful, but mostly really good. And it's definitely it has put me in this area where now I watch YouTube videos about cars and car history and mechanics instead of like angry video game nerd shit and all this other crap. So. Yeah, you still watch that. Yeah. Don't lie. Yeah, yeah, but not as much. I mean, that was like what I would watch. Now I watch. I mean, you've been watching the same six angry video game nerd videos for what a uh, whole life 15 years yeah. well they haven't been around that long but yeah 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 it's been around for a while yeah but not that long how long has youtube been around i guess like five or six years really 2007 six end of six it was oh. the end of high school so like 10 years yeah yeah anyway there was that what, what other good good do you have uh well this is super recent and as much as I would like to do it on air, I don't think I can. I think it'd be uh, inappropriate, but I finally get to quit my job. Nice. I'm so excited. Do what on air? Call my boss and tell him I fucking quit, because I haven't yet. Ah. Uh. But, because uh, I was kind of, you know, still weighing my options. Sure. I already gotten a new job. And yeah. With more steady pay and not having to worry about commission and all that shit. Plus, I'll have extra time, mm -hmm. so I can actually start taking some classes this fall and further myself towards a nursing degree. Nice. So I can make actual money. And uh, it won't affect the podcast, I promise. Yeah. I'd rather die. Yeah. And, you know, I almost did, so I know what that's like. It's pretty bad. Yeah. But, yeah, I got a new job. I'm pretty excited about that. My wife and I are going to be moving this year, again, and starting to save up for a house. I mean, we've kind of been saving up for a house, but, you know, a little bit more seriously. Mm. You know, no more like, hey, can I buy this new Nintendo system? Mm. Quick funny story. Uh, while we were saving for our wedding, I decided to buy a Nintendo Switch. Mm. <laughs> and... uh don't know how I convinced her of that. We got married, so, you know, things worked out, but... Mm, mm. Poor, stressed-out woman trying to plan a wedding and, you know... You were switching it up. Yeah, I was like, I need to wait all day at a GameStop to get a Switch on release day. And uh, Dick Fetty was secretly angry at me about that. He called me a pussy. I guess. He did. He told me, you were like, I can't believe you waited like that. You can come to that thing that we go to. Oh. Yeah. Coward. You're a coward. <laughs> oh, okay. Last last couple things. Real quick. I went to the Amalfi Coast for my mom's 60th birthday and stayed in a villa for a week. That was fucking sick. Uh, I went on tour for the first time with Bill Peterson and Josh Peterson. You can check out our episode on that where I go in depth about it. Anyways, uh, the tour <laughs> like was Asian porn. Yeah, the tour was really fun. We're we're talking about going on tour this coming June, but given that I'll be planning for a wedding now, it's unlikely that I'll be able to. Although it really wasn't, it didn't cost me very much money because we made money pretty much every night. So we'll see what happens. And then the last little thing was so unexpected and awesome. I have been looking for this album by White Heaven, which is a 
sort of super group of Japanese psych rock guys, but then also partially it was the group that made them all famous. And so that wasn't really a super group when it started. But anyway, they started in the 80s. They're a really big deal Japanese psych rock band. They have a handful of albums, all of which are wildly out of print, super expensive for the most part, and of varying levels of quality. And they have one record in which they have these uh, their original guitarist plus another guitarist and... It's very, the CD version is very short. It's four songs. It's under 20 minutes. The LP version is super limited, is longer, and sells for like $500 to $1,000 per copy. There's like 200 in the world. And I've wanted at least just the CD version for 10 years now, if not longer. Yeah, 10 years, minimally. And I went on Discogs the other day to look for it. Well, this was in the summertime. And... It's online for like 25 bucks. I was like, that can't be right. And I go to look up the seller and it's a, a CD store that's down the street on 30. And so I went there the next day and I, I just see a montage of you slamming a door, getting your car. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And so I was like, babe, I have to go do a thing. And uh, I went and bought it. It's signed by two of the members of the band. What? And yeah, it's in mint condition. And it was like $25 when normally the CD sells for 60 to $100. And for a long time when their popularity was up, so, you know, these things come up and down, CD was like $200 itself. And I found it for 25 bucks at a local CD store in New Jersey. Did you throw them an extra fiver just for being cool? No. But I did buy a Tracy Rude. Lord's uh, techno CD, so when she did her techno album. The one that has the song that from the Reptile Fight in Mortal Kombat. Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you just go to that CD store all the time now? Like, no, please, I've never please been give back. Me a, give me another white whale. No. Wow. Yeah. Coward. I know. Well, the driveway was really steep, so I scraped my car leaving it, and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't really want to go back well, there. The driveway was really steep. <laughs> it was. I'm a coward. My name is Dick Betty. I don't want to scrape my car. So, Ben, you said you had one last good good? So, yeah, I got one last one for you. Something I've been trying to do for a while. I, I got to see the Game Grumps live. Oh, I thought you were going to say you got your foreskin removed. No, that happened. That didn't happen in 2019. And if I could, I would have kept it. Are you kidding me? You can hide M&M's in there. Mm. Skittles? Yeah, Skittle sock. Fucking taste the rainbow. But I got to see the Game Grumps in Asbury Park. We also... I paid way too much money for VIP tickets. But... It was really cool to see them that close. I Did they make you feel them. like an IP? An IP? An important person? Yeah. They did. I felt very important. Okay, I'm asking. And it's funny because we went and saw Jack Jacksepticeye a couple of years ago. And there was a very young crowd for that. Mm. And I think I told you this. There was more so people from like their early 20s to our age, and I've never seen such a collection of good-looking people at something so nerdy, mm. uh, which was interesting. But of course, you know, I was with my beautiful wife, and I would never look at another woman. No, or of course man, not. Or any sexually desirable creature. But it was really cool, and it's the last time they're ever going to do that format in which... They play Mario Party, and then they bring up people upstate on stage. They bring people on stage to do the mini games and everything. Okay. It was pretty funny. It was very scripted. I think they were using a hacked version of the game because it seemed like they knew exactly what was going to happen at all times. Okay. 
And usually they're more of an improv comedy type thing. Yeah. But it was super, super cool. And I really enjoyed it. And that's the only other good thing that happened to me this year because my life is pain. Cool. Okay, well, uh, I've got a bunch of recommendations to go through. And we're going we're gonna to do those, I guess, now. I fucking guess, Dick Fetty. <laughs> So I thought we would talk good albums, good films, good concerts. Yeah. Like you shot your concert load, I guess, with this Game Grumps bullshit. But I, I have a kid now. I couldn't go to any concerts this Didn't year. you go to one with me? I went to your show. Ah, yeah, that was good. That was probably in your top ten. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. There was a lot of crust punks. That was really interesting. Yeah. Really just one crust punk. That's one too many. She owned the house. She's not a crust punk. And she would be upset if you said so. Is she not? No. No? No. What is she? She's she's a, she's one of a kind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, just because we've covered basically all the records that I thought were the best from the year. That's a fucking lie, but okay. Okay. Uh, so, Kieran Aurora's Formication, or Fromication, Formication... On Pro's Nag, I think I did that two episodes ago. He's a Texas Harsh Noise guy. The album is this giant industrial turbine, harsh noise, gravel machine. I don't know how to... I mean, I've played a clip. I've reviewed it already. That was a killer record. Boy Harsher's Careful LP was also really good, and I think I talked about it before. They they did a lot of uh, advertisement for the album, like too much for me Which on Instagram. You yeah, there was a ton of paid for promo stuff on Instagram, and I was like, nah. And then I saw it live and was like, yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. Oh no. That's probably my most listened to record of the year. I just got a physical copy of Coffins Beyond the Circular Demise, which I had listened to a bunch when it first came out, but is it's really good. I mean, it's one of those where it's a little less remarkable, and it's kind of Coffins doing all of their good things to the best version of them doing it. So there's no big revelation, but it's certainly a really strong album. But I haven't got to spend as much time with it as I'd like. But anyway, it's definitely up there. One record I I can't play for the show and I uh, haven't talked about before, but is a tape, rather, by Form Hunter, which is uh, some noise dudes from New York called Dripping Curve on Prime (laughs) Ruin. And... The first time I listened to the tape, I had a buddy who gave me a Walkman that he got. I forget how he got it, but it's like a really, it's a nice condition old Walkman. And so as I was listening to the tape, unbeknownst to me, the battery started dying. So the one wheel was not turning at full speed and the other one was turning at a different speed. So the tape started to unspool inside of itself and it was playing all warped and almost destroyed the tape. But the music is already harsh noise tape music, so I didn't notice it all. And <laughs> You're it was like, just yeah! like, dude, it was fucking insane. I was like, yo, this shit is off the hook. And then I looked down, and the tape's spilling out of the. <laughs> I was like, oh fuck! So I've I've listened to it a couple times since, and it's been really good. But like that first experience was like a revelation. Obviously, it's not really the record as intended. So what you got to do is you got to record onto a cassette and then fuck up the cassette and then record the cassette being fucked up. Yeah, people do that all the time intentionally. That's no. like a noise thing. But 
Yeah, this I one was, was being smart. No, I mean, nice try though, and um, it was a really, it was a really cool like remix version on my first listen. And the tape player, when I put new batteries in, it works fine, so that was cool. <laughs> but it was, it was like, oh, it was, I can't even remember. It was fucking nuts. Uh, Hate Rock's new album, Venus and Leo on Ghostly International, is totally sick. I've been listening to that album a lot. Yeah. Uh, the other big one started as a disappointment, but then the more I've listened to it, I've really come to enjoy it, is Carly Rae Jepsen, although I call her Epson, because it's the soft... To me, it looks like a soft J, so I don't, you know... Anyways. So, Carly Rae Jepsen, Epson, Jepsen, however you want to call it, uh... Yeah, so her last album, Emotion, which was her third album, but the one following, Call Me Maybe, had a lot of expectations. Didn't sell super well at first, but was an amazing sort of like slow build into big sales, awesome pop album. Like we all have, well, I think a lot of noise boys I know, we all pick one pop star that we fall in love with, and then we that's like our, our thing. Anyway, so yeah, a lot of people side on Lana Del Rey. She's an easy candidate. Other people are still Britney's, uh, Britney Spears fans. And I like Carly Rae Jepsen. So. I like Poppy. Um, anyway, so... Glad to see my point is invalid. <laughs> no, I mean, I just don't like Poppy, but that's, you're totally entitled to... That's fine. Put your Not voice a big in fan of stable. Carly Rae. How about that? <laughs> Yikes. Your ears must be broken. All of the other... Artists on your best of, oh man, so good, and then you let us down at the end there. I'm not done. I'm not even halfway through. Oh God. Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna spend too much time. God, it's been like fucking 45 minutes, man. So, anyways, <laughs> devotion, devotion was gonna be tough because emotion was so good, and like I said, I didn't really love it at first, but then as I listened to it more, and especially the last month or so, I've really been able to get into it. The song that did it for me is called Automatically in Love. I'm going to play that for a second. want to state that the first time I ever heard that song I showed up to Flex and Dick's apartment and he was blaring that song while dancing around his living room in a tank top and tight brightly colored underwear. Really? No. Oh. 
but I would have loved that. Yeah, that seems very possible. It seems very possible. Yeah. So, anyways, Carly Rae's great, and I listen to that song, and I think about you. Oh. My co-host. But... Oh, my God. Also my fiancé. No homo. A little bit less love. Um... So anyways, I, I love pop and like she's just got that she does it's a mixture of electro, disco boogie, whatever, all these different sexy sultry things. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good production, the lyrics are what they are. I mean it's you know, it's pop. It's music. good midday banging music, honestly. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And if I still did ecstasy, it would be good for that as well. Which is also good, good for, for midday, midday banging. Yeah, <laughs> top buddy. So yeah. In that same vein, Hannah Diamond finally put out her album Reflections, which is really not an album. It's basically a collection of singles from the past five years. So it's a little disappointing in that regard. I think there are two new tracks on the whole record. And I don't have a physical copy yet, but we'll be getting one soon. I really, really like Hannah Diamond, and I've been listening to her since like 2014 originally, I think. But did not... When I first saw her videos and heard her songs, I was like, this is weird, and I like it, but also, it's really weird, and I'm not sure that I like it, and kind of left it on the back burner. Then I couldn't remember her name, and for six months, I was trying to figure out who the hell it was, and then I finally was like, oh, and I kind of fell completely in love with the aesthetic and style at that point, and that was about a year and a half ago. So, the album kind of comes at a perfect time, but as a lot of reviewers have stated, it's sort of... If you look at the stable of producers and stuff coming out of the PC Music label, like it seems like she's already a relic of their past, and it's kind of pointless and like way past the mark of when it would have been revelatory. But I don't like most of the other stuff on the label. I only really <laughs> like Cannon Diamond, so I'm fine with it, other than I just wish there was more new material. But it's nice to have a lot of the singles in a physical format for the first time. So... Uh, just a couple other quick ones. Magnetic Tape Mouth Gag is a tape on IOPS, which is a freak animal sub-label type thing. It's, like, harsh synth noise. It's, if you're into that kind of thing, it's really good. I've only listened to it twice, so I can't really talk about it extensively, but it was one of those where I just put it on and immediately it was like, these sounds rule. The whole... It's just a very much, if you know the IOPS label, it fits perfectly in line with everything from the aesthetic concept, execution, the whole deal. It's really good if you want harsh noise that's way less about screeching and way more about just like waves of heavy. Um, the Mote uncut four CD thing, I was going to review it all year. I never got to it. It's a ton of material. It's all of the not already reissued material from the uncut label, which was Mote's label from the 80s and 90s. And it's all together in this nice CD box set. It's solid gold the whole way through, at least to my ears, but also shows in an interesting way his evolution and sort of exploration into this increasingly weird sonic area. So that's really good. New Nile album was surprisingly good, and but I... I don't like it as much as some of their other new stuff, but that whole Nile right. thing we've kind of discussed pretty thoroughly. And I, Have we? Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it during the show when we do the concert review, but I I'm was pleasantly surprised, and it's definitely... It's one of their most overproduced albums and has tons of, like, really epic parts, but instead of sounding, like, shitty and cheesy, they sound way more 
4k hollywood blockbuster which is kind of a mixed bag for me sometimes it works sometimes it feels too slick but the songs themselves are mostly really strong the musicianship always rules it's a good one um earlier in the year i m mentioned psychedelic speed freaks which is the dude from mainliner and high rises new band with two american guys that record has really hugely grown on me since i've gotten it and even though in many ways it's just a rehash of stuff they were doing 20 and 30 years ago, it still stands alone and having those American voices as part of it kind of gives it something different. And every time I put it on, I just feel like I should be in a full leather jumpsuit with fingerless leather gloves, like getting in my car and revving it all hot and hard and being like, so yeah, hard. just like sweaty and like out to touch boobs. So I like it. Uh, it's good. Selected Killing, Secret Tombstone, Encephalophonic, Grunt, Collaboration 3, and CDR. I've reviewed that too. Really like that. And then the only records I can talk about that I haven't mentioned on the show before are there There were a bunch of really good drum and bass 12 inches that came out this year that were basically the same artists from last year and the year before, but I'll just mention them because they're still killing it. Overlook specifically put out... Mm. The Seance twelve inch on Osiris Music, which is Monic slash uh, Simon Shreve's label. Overlook gets my dick hard. Yeah, it's it's like not it's not techno, it's not drum and bass, it's somewhere in between. It like drops down to breaks tempo sometimes. It's weird. It's it's really good. If you've been following him super closely, there are a lot of repeated sort of sounds and styles in some ways in his music, which in some ways can feel like cheap but then if you look at it as just constant permutations of related elements i kind of like it i like a lot of music like zaster i've been listening to a ton lately and he re-records the same song like 10 times over the course of five cds and it's fine like i i i sort of like the familiarity of certain sounds and elements sometimes it feels cheap but a lot of times it's just sort of like this is this person's audio language and like there are certain signifiers i'm going to expect to hear and i'm not going to be super pissed if i hear them more than once and because well anyways i could go into a whole thing about that but so that one's really good and then pessimist similarly did he has a, a song on his album called grit that came out in 2017 it it harkens back to like 1995 autocur trey repete style stuff along with um Apple Blim's material with, uh, oh shoot, what's his face? Oh, the other dude. Fuck. Um, it's Apple Blim and, and another producer who, oh, Jesus, Paveralist on Soundboy Disco, the, uh, Circling and I forget the other name of the song, but it, it's these like dubstep meets dub techno, huge sprawling songs. And, on this, what is it, Burundanga EP on UVB 76, it's basically four long versions of this track, Grit, from his album from two years ago. It's it's very similar, where it's just these huge, like, splashy, wet, slowly modulated synths over minimal, but, like, modulated beats that are interesting, and they just have this epic, sprawling, spirally awesomeness to them. And it's total DXM music. Just, I listen to it on my headphones. I lay down in bed and I'm like, I'm about to start tripping. And then my brain's like, you don't take drugs anymore. I'm like, 
but it feels like I'm about to start but tripping. I could. Oh, it really does get me. But that the EP is it's just four songs, but it's like almost thirty minutes long and it's again solid gold. He did another one too on Osiris that I don't have that's good, but I think this is the strongest of his material of the year. And there was some other good um, Overlook started a new side project. There was a bunch of little mini comps and a lot of other good material. But basically, Osiris, Pessimist New Label. Um, I haven't heard Boreal Massive, but I've heard that's really good. And UVB76 continue to just crush it. I mean, everything they put out is pretty much essential. So Yeah, you bought what? Everything. Yeah. So... And you accidentally bought doubles of something. Oh. No, no, that wasn't my fault. That was the sender. He was supposed to send me a rare old UVB 76 record and said send me a double of one I already have. I was like, really? Fucking really? Yeah, but now I have a set. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, I got dicked out of a $40 record, so. Oh. Although I only paid regular price you... for it. Okay. But, yeah. I was going to say, I almost feel bad now. No, it was fine. So those those would be my primary recommendations. It, I mean, the year started as... Uh, I was listening to a ton of dissecting table at the start of the year. Oh, yeah, you were. And then that morphed into some going back into Linecraft. And then come tour time, it was like, for a while, it was Japanese cyber gore grind and just general gore grind from Japan in like March and April. And then by May, I was getting out of the gore grind and I don't know, probably listening to death metal. Yeah, two mm-hmm. molds show happened. June, I went on tour, and as a result, was listening to a ton of throat, noise rock type stuff. I came back from tour, like, right before and after I got back, it was also Japanese psych rock, so it was Fushi Susha, yeah. We were watching a lot of... Yakuza films. Yakuza films. (laughs) And uh, immediately following the Japanese psych rock, because of listening to all that throat on tour, I got into Unsane, which was just crippled my Spotify algorithm because I listened to their Visqueen album that we reviewed back then and it that the whole album is my most listened to songs. It's just like I just listened to that album over and over and over and over again. And uh, I was like, I don't know what you want. You want this, right? <laughs> you just want more of this? Please stop. And then I went from that into oh, I forget what the there was, oh, just a ton of noise, just straight noise. Yeah. And then there was a, a point where you were listening to a lot of drum and bass because of your night drives? Well, yeah, so it went from straight noise, and then I quit smoking in September, started the night drives, and that got me in denial. That's one thing we forgot about the good thing. We both quit smoking cigarettes. Well, I said that, but you forgot oh. to mention it, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I don't listen to what you say when you're talking on the podcast. I get that. Yeah, you're just thinking about what you're going to say, the funny retort. No, it's... Mostly think about butts, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's literally what I was going to say. Yeah. I'm in your head. Yeah. So yeah, we both quit smoking. But anyways, Niall, Niall was big for like a month and yeah. a half to the point where I went and saw them. It was like two months really. Uh-huh. And uh, right before my birthday. And then that went into drum and bass because of the night drives. It was like simultaneously Niall and then like the most sleek techno and then <laughs> modern drum and bass. And then... Most recently, I've just been listening to almost nothing but Zaster and Judas Iscariot, so... Do we want to tell the story of one of the funniest things that's ever personally happened to me when I went on a night drive with you? Sure, yeah. So, Dick Fetty took me out for one of his night drives. We were out in the middle of nowhere, Jersey, farmland country. Yep. Which is super spooky at night and super cool. 
and we're listening to all this techno and shit, and I was like, Dick Fetty, do you know what would make this even better? Is if you had the soundtrack to Initial D. And he goes, well, it just so happens, and pulls out the actual soundtrack to Initial D. Yeah, which so, I bought in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and have in my car for these exact moments. And we drove his car real fast, zoom zoom, listening to Initial D as the real d- weebs that we are. Yeah, it was it was truly incredible. He was like, because I think your words exactly were like, the only thing that could make this better is if you had the Initial D soundtrack, and then I just pull it out from this other <laughs> door, and you're like, there's like getting married, the birth of my son, and then this moment <laughs> <laughs> as we shot into the night. And the it was funny, though, because we... We went to get on to 55 to go home, and I was, like, talking to you, and you had fallen asleep, but I didn't know it. And I have, like, Niall blasting, and I'm hitting the turbo, we're shooting, and then I turn to the side, and you're just there, like, drool coming out of the side of your mouth. I was like, okay. Just shook the car a little bit. You woke up, but... No, I don't think you even noticed. I was I was just like, I fell asleep. And yeah. you're like, oh? Yeah. So... So those... Still, I was still healing. Yeah. So did you hear any other uh, records that we didn't cover? Mm-mm. No. No one cares about what I listen to. Not it's really. all you. Yeah. It's all you. Yeah. And I don't think I listen to any new music this year. Nobody cares about what I think about the new or say anything album. So no, 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 I'm good. I, I've we listened- and we actually covered that on the podcast. Did we? Yeah. Because it's like the coming back to the old concept they did before. Blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but. We're talking about movies. Yeah, but I, I do want to say that uh, the new Boy Harsher album is probably my favorite thing that I started listening to after you reviewed it mm-hmm. this year. That album is fucking choice. Yeah, especially for cleaning. I'm just wiggling my little butt. Yeah, it's 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 one of those albums, especially as like synth pop type stuff goes, where. The first Chromatics, well, the first Chromatics with Johnny the Jewel album does it too, where it starts with the girl doing the phone call. Yeah, she's night like, drive. Yeah, right, and she's like, I'm going to go for a night drive, and then... How was the show? Yeah, <laughs> and 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 then it, like, the next song kicks in, and you're like, I'm there, and this album has the spooky, like, you know, kind of starting thing, and then it... Weirdly ethereal. Yeah, and then it goes into Face the Fire, and you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was interesting, because I've heard some people bitch about the album and say it's kind of samey and i guess on surface level they definitely have a structure and you could say that that's true although i think and it is more so i talked about this in my review than their uh prior albums has more sleeked down song structures but if you listen to the album like every song has its own thing so you know okay whatever (laughs) whatever so, yeah, let's talk about movies. Do you want to start with the things that we've seen together? Sure. Uh, I mean, I have I have three movies from the year that actually came out in 2019, and then I have a couple movies that I would just briefly mention that we saw this year. Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I've, I've watched it twice now, actually. Okay. So, that was the one movie we didn't see together, correct? No, but we've both seen it. Right. So, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably my favorite movie of the year, which is surprising even for me. I'm not... Like, I love Tarantino in one way, but then I'm also not the biggest fan. It's been a pretty decent year for movies as well, though. 
see, it's funny because I, I, there's a couple out now I haven't seen that I want to see, but I didn't. There was almost nothing that brought me to the theaters. There's only one that I, I'll, I'll just mention it because I'd prefer to. I'm probably just gonna end up buying it, and mm. then we'll probably watch it before an episode. Sure. But the lighthouse is like the one I haven't seen, and as far as the types of movies that you and I watch, I heard it's like the fucking movie of the year. Yeah, well, I've seen it. Yeah, I know you have, but I haven't. Yeah, so I know. We can't really discuss it. Yeah, so it's funny because even having seen the lighthouse, I would say that I probably still like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more huh. because it's just. In in many ways, well, in every way, it's a more fun movie to watch, and yeah, I could definitely the see lighthouse that. is is not a struggle, even though it's austere, because there's a lot of humor in it, and especially uh, Willem Dafoe. Really, if it wasn't for him, it would be tougher to enjoy so much. He really Willem Dafoe it. He really does. But and, anyway, once upon a time. In Hollywood. So, real quick, fun story. Uh, since I've watched that, because I wasn't sure when I first watched it. Uh-huh. Uh, were, were spoilers? Yeah, I guess prepare to be spoiled. Because I feel like we need to talk about the ending of the movie. Okay, sure. Especially with the type of podcast we're on. Okay. But, uh, so anyway, I've been driving. I've, I've, I'm able to drive again, obviously. Uh, well, obvious to you, not to our listeners. They can't see me. Yeah. On a day-to-day -day basis. Is he real? Is he real? Is he just Dick Fetty doing another voice? Mm. Who is this bearded blonde boy that Dick Fetty has all these pictures of? The world may never know. They may never know. But my wife, I've, I've been driving again, so usually it's me driving when I'm with my wife now. And I'll just randomly go, you want me to suck your cock while driving? And I'll just turn away and go, how old are you? <laughs> and just go, I love that fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And, uh... She thinks it's hilarious, so I'm not annoying my wife with it, but that movie, man. Anyway, you go back to your initial impressions of it, and I'll chime in. Oh, well, yeah, so I thought it was just a ton of fun. I had no expectations and knew nothing, and basically went to see it because my parents, who we don't agree on everything, but they are well-informed, were like, they saw it, really enjoyed it. I can't remember. My brain is fried. But anyways, I'm pretty sure that they saw it, told me to go see it, and I saw it, and I really liked it. I think that's how that went. But uh, it's just fun. And it has all the normal Tarantino stuff that we've come to expect with feet and whatever else. But to me, none of that was I, overly highlighted in a way that would detract from the film. I don't think it detracted from the film, but there are more close-ups of feet in this movie than I've seen somewhere out of a foot fetish video. No, Death Proof. Oh my god, death no, proof. no. There's way more feet in general in this movie. Well, I guess, I didn't particularly You got tape it. feet, you got hippie feet, you got this feet, you got that feet, like, so many feet. Yeah, but I think you're just looking for it. And I, yeah. I don't, I mean, to me, I mean, I know about the foot fetish thing, but it's kind of like a joke, and I also just don't, I don't care one way or the other. So, Sharon's Sharon Tate's feet felt like the... Sharon Tate. <laughs> yeah. Felt like the big one, but outside, like I, I want to see Margot Robbie's yeah, feet. So I was kind of dirty upset. too yeah. from her wearing those boots. Right. So, oh. but the whole thing was, I did not know about the change to the ending prior to seeing it. Yes. And so I was, and I think what makes the film excel, if you don't know anything about it, is that the whole time you're waiting for this horrible shit to happen. But the movie's mostly really fun, and 
So but you always you have that like that dread, yeah. just just dangling in the back of your mind. If if you know anything about the Manson murders, right? And so when it doesn't happen that way, I'm like, this is the ending we get, and it's brutally violent, but oh in a fun, cathartic way, and it's just awesome. And Brad Pitt and Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's chemistry seems so easy and so believable, and. Leonardo DiCaprio reminds me so much of one of my old drinking buddies, but also of myself. And his raging alcoholism is wildly believable as an alcoholic. And his whole little monologue that's relatively short, but with himself in his trailer after he yeah, fucks up his thing. I've been there. Is so good. Like, Not drinking anymore. Yeah, because yeah, I saw it with Jeff because we were in stitches. And the whole rest of the theater is like silent. And they're like, it's so serious. And I was like, Are you, this is like the funniest part of the movie. So... Um, yeah, I liked all that. I just found it to be a really fun movie to watch, and I went back to see it with Alexa, and I liked it just as much and was not bored or felt like any part of it was slow, unlike a lot of other Tarantino movies. So, I I, I guess I'm a little bit different because I absolutely love Tarantino, mm-hmm. and I think he's one of the few big-budget directors who's like truly an art tour in this day and age that's left. But, so, my thing was when I first saw the movie... Loved everything until the ending. Really? I didn't... It. I Like, I couldn't... I felt like I had, was let down almost. And I didn't capture... I didn't capture something at first that was mm. said by the Manson family, by Tex and everybody else in the car at first. And then when I rewatched it, I loved it. But the Manson murders and the whole story of the Manson family and everything is probably my favorite cult story mm. and something I would love to cover on the podcast, but that it's, I'm currently reading Helter Skelter because mm. I picked it up for my birthday. But when I first saw that, I felt a little bit let down at the same time. I was like, but I don't want to see a pregnant woman get stabbed a bunch. Yeah. And Helter Skelter opens up with, their murders. It's like the first thing in the book is the Tate murders. And the murders on Cielo Drive and all that and the fucking bloodbath and how terrible the cops were at not destroying evidence. But I watched it a second time and realized he was literally just doing the same exact thing he did in Inglorious Bastards, which is he was killing Hitler. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was Taking the power away from those awful, evil people who are mostly still alive except Manson. Uh, Some of them are still running around, free as a a lark. Well, it's just, you know, I have mixed feelings about Inglorious Bastards, but this movie didn't bother me. And it's so funny because my parents, like my dad's a literal baby boomer and my mom's right after that. But the Sharon Tate murders for them are, like, big deal psychic events. Yeah. Like, they're, like, the biggest thing. Like, one of the biggest things along with JFK. And, you know, for us, it's, I guess, 9-11 and some other stuff. Although, we're all too screaming. 9-11 or fucking whatever. Yeah, but, no, I mean, seriously, so... The Oklahoma bombing or whatever. And I, I think my parents, like, who were pissed at Inglorious Bastards ending, loved the way that they handled it in Once Upon a Time on Hollywood. And it was, like, Margot Robbie was so adorable as Sharon Tate. Like, I would have just flipped out if they she like did great. I, I did not want to see her die you know yeah, she did great and see i'm a jew so like inglorious bastards is almost a rite of passage now like i can't wait to force my son to go to hebrew school and then make him watch that movie i'm just i'm just kidding i don't care if he goes to hebrew school but 
my wife does. But, you know, it's, it was, it's, as someone who's, like, suffered, not, like, extremely, but, like, suffered at the hands of anti-Semitism growing up, and has a, like, slightly different feel than a lot of the people I grew up with when we were learning about World War Two and everything, mm. that, ugh, watching them destroy Hitler's body was, ah, it felt good. Yeah. Felt so good. And I fucking, I, uh, Christoph Waltz, is that his name? Yeah. In that movie is. Oh, he's, a, he's from Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. But we're not talking about that movie. <laughs> we the, certainly are, but. <laughs> well, I mean, we are, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a, it, it's so funny because like now we're starting to get period pieces from like that time. Yeah. And it kind of is a period piece. It's, it's, it's a totally love, a, period a love letter to that era of Hollywood and it's just so cool to watch Tarantino work his magic on it because, you know, maybe he had to digitally add some stuff, but I know he fucking hates that. And there's shots where they're driving down the street and you know that newsstand with magazines in it is full of fucking real magazines. Yeah. Because he's a crazy person. But my favorite part of the whole movie was Brad Pitt. And it it only I feel like it happened much later in his life, but Brad Pitt is a character actor with the face of a heartthrob. So like those were the roles he got for the longest time, and then he started getting character roles like a little bit later in his life where he was actually able to show his acting chops. And I mean, you know, DiCaprio is always fucking phenomenal. The man is a great actor, yeah. great actor, and he truly portrayed that sadness and that. You know, even if you have the world, you can still be utterly destroyed. Whereas Pitt's character didn't have much, but fuck it. Yeah. Like, I'm happy. Life is okay. Like, yeah, I forget who was saying, and I could sort of agree with it. Somebody said to me, like, it appeared as if that's... I mean, that's the kind of person that Brad Pitt's trying to convince us he is for a long time now. So yeah. in some ways it didn't feel as much of a reach, but it was also like... I'm fine with that. And, yeah, I mean, I I agree. I thought everybody, it was nice. I mean, the fact that Kurt Russell still gets to show up and stuff, especially for Tarantino, but, like, Luke Perry kills it, and the dude... And this was was probably one of the last things he was in. It is the last thing he's in, yeah. Well, I know he was on Riverdale, so I don't know if he filmed that. Oh, yeah. This, but... Yeah. I, I I didn't... I forgot he was in it, and his scene, I actually got really sad, because yeah. I love Luke Perry. Well, and then the guy who plays um, the the main dude in Lancer, whose name I can't remember, but I just started watching Deadwood, and he's one of the main characters yep. in Deadwood, and I was like, oh, this rules. And so, it, it's, the, the whole thing is just good. It's like, if you're a person who likes movies, and likes movies from that era, and then, and then they got the whole bit about the Italian shit, which was just like, I know, it's I so know. good. It was. It's like a movie for people who love movies. It's it's and a film nerd movie. Yeah, well, it is, but it's also like. But, but it's, it's much also bigger it, than that because it's, it's tackling, excess, like yeah. the one of the big baby boomer events. So well, not even the baby boomer events, just something that changed the world, changed Hollywood. It's the whole movie is about transition and. Yeah. It's it's very well done and it's very accessible for those who, aren't giant fucking nerds like Dick Fetty and I. Right. So, so there was that. Uh, then I would say Godzilla King of the Monsters for similar reasons, although it's a very different <laughs> movie, was 
it, I mean, it would be unfair to compare it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I enjoyed it as much, if not more. Like, I love Godzilla, and I've loved Godzilla since I was a kid, and I saw it on opening day, or the opening weekend, I guess, with my parents, and... Flex Lexa, and I cried like four different times during my first viewing of the movie. And I saw it in like the super big RPX, blah, blah, blah. Like it was as as much uh-huh. as I yep. could be blown away as possible. And when they boot Godzilla Snoot and all the <laughs> other stuff, I was just like, <laughs> oh my God. When, the Mo- <clears throat> when Mothra shows up the first time, just tons of stuff like that. The way that you, they... You know what is my favorite thing? And maybe it's because he gets the... He's one of the monsters that gets the least amount of love, I feel like, as far as Godzilla's rogue gallery or character gallery, mm. so to speak, is when Rodan shows up. Oh, I feel like Rodan gets tons of he love. He does, but he gets way less than, like, Mothra Well, because Mothra is a big deal. Yeah, that's true. She's, like, the only female icon in the whole kaiju world. But, yeah, no, Rodan's whole thing rules. I mean, the movie gives us everything that everybody bitched about not having from 2014 Godzilla. Although, I really like that movie, even though I could care. The human plot drives the film, which is fine, because I'm going to see a bunch of humans get eaten. Like, whatever. People's expectations and complaints are totally out of whack with what they... It doesn't matter. But King of the Monsters was like, you want fucking kaiju fight the whole time? Here's kaiju fight the whole time. Here's an eco-terrorism subplot in which I agree with the terrorists, as I normally do if they're eco-terrorists, and like a bunch of other bullshit. Good, good save there. Yeah. Hopefully you don't accidentally cut out where you say eco-terrorists <laughs> yeah. at the end there. Yeah, right. But that's all fine. The The biggest issue I had with the movie, but like I just had to let it go because was otherwise... Was it was all at night and it was foggy the whole time? That's But that's not true, and it's not. I mean, watch the movie again, but the whole thing is Rodan makes storms and he fucks up the weather, so they at least give an explanation as to why some of the stuff is more like whatever, whatever. But I I want to see you predict how the weather is going to interact when Alien Monster X comes. Wow. And... I, mean, I, I love the movie and I make one comment and he fucking loses it. Well, it's just like that. I feel like I... Jesus. The comment is not even like an accurate complaint, but no, my problem... There's a lot of darkness in that movie. I okay, I guess, but uh, anyways, my major issue with this is that the only mode of transportation they seem to have <laughs> are Osprey helicopters, which are just like, if they think about sand, their propellers clog so and they crash into the desert. I, uh, I had a giggle moment at something that's not necessarily giggle-worthy the other day, because mm. I thought about our whole discussion about the Ospreys in that movie. Ospreys, yeah. That's what I said. Okay. I said Ospreys. And uh, how they seem to be able to travel wherever they want in the world <coughs> without any issue. And, you know, we're about to hit World War Three, so, you know, maybe this will become a war podcast. But <laughs> I was reading the article about how we just sent 3,500 troops over to the Middle East, and they were sent there in none other than Ospreys. Yeah. And I was like, maybe this isn't war. Maybe there's a secret kaiju fight going on. And I giggled to myself. And mm. I was like, that'd be fun, but also terrible, but fun. Yeah, there's Chinooks when there's not Osprey. And then there's a bunch of Humvees. And it, it's just, you know, there's a ton of shots where nobody could be there without dying immediately of radiation and this, that, and the other. But watch a Godzilla movie. You know, that's what always happens. This movie just has a bigger budget to show you the insanity. But... 
I didn't come in for ultra realistic look at what might happen because even Shin Godzilla, which is the closest to it, still has its own issues with some of that stuff. They, it's hard to deal with the fact that there's going to be some mega radioactive life form out there shooting atomic breath. So you're going to have to like you know just kind of fudge the science a little bit on it. And I'm okay with that because I came to see a giant radioactive monster with I atomic breath. I mean, so much of breath. Japan is is radiated at this point that. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, it's raining again, Tsukamoto. Yeah. Bring an umbrella. Bring your radiation umbrella. So, I loved the movie. I watched it twice since. It definitely was harder the second and third time to overlook some of the issues with it. But I was also in very different settings where, you know, I feel like if I watched it by myself, I would just enjoy it. I think it's one of those things where you and I love kaiju so much that when it comes to kaiju it's not hard to please us because i know a lot of people fucking hated the first pacific rim Mm. even though it got a sequel and we love that movie love that fucking movie we went on a date together to go see it. Yeah. He wore disco pants. I wore something. I don't remember, but he was looking so good. There's True. Giant monsters, giant robots. I I loved King of Monsters. I mean, I will always love the original stuff. Sure. More so. But as far as you know, I don't think America's totally ruining Godzilla. I I personally prefer Shin Godzilla, but we didn't see that this year, so. Yeah, well, and again, it's, I mean, it's an unnecessary comparison. Because yeah, they're it's not, not they're, they're different things, pretty yeah. much. Well, right, the, the universe that they have here for Legendary Pictures is its own thing, and much like manga and anime and ovas and all that stuff, they can have, like, three different versions of the same thing, yeah. and when... They're all good and provide you with something slightly different. Then you just get three versions of something you like. So I don't have any issue. I expect there to be certain shortcomings in any kind of American version of a franchise, and <laughs> the that's okay. And like, if I want super serious Neon Genesis Godzilla, I watch in Godzilla. If I want to have like silly yeah. psychedelic weirdo Godzilla, I watch Godzilla vs. Hedera. And if I want to see, you know, the ultimate version of what these creatures kind of sort of would look like if they were real in fighting, I'm going to watch Godzilla King of Monsters from 2019 because it's the only movie that has the budget and technology to show you in a way that's not Suitmation, which is fine and fun in its own way, but it's the closest you're going to get to the devastation from them fighting. Yes, that's true. But Shin Godzilla does sort of top everything in the sense of if you want to just focus on one kaiju doing devastation, that movie crushes it. Because the midpoint of that movie is, like, fucking disturbing. I think the reason I like that movie so much is because there's so many similarities between that and the original. And the original Godzilla is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. But that's, that's a moot point. I really hope that this movie made enough money for them to still go forward with... Well, they're doing Kong. I mean, that comes out this year. Godzilla vs. King Kong. It does come out this yeah, year? Yeah, that's already oh, done. Man. That's in the bag. And it was it was a financial... It was not as successful as they thought, but it made its money back. 
So I won't be shocked if they go in for another movie. I mean, I don't even Unless know if, this if... Versus King Kong totally bombs. I mean, I don't even... Do people even care about King Kong? He got two movies from the last, like, decade, right? Yeah, no, they've done a bunch. I mean, they've already done Maybe one that's no, part of the legendary more. franchise. So. Well, yeah, they had the first one, which was... Return to Skull Island. No, no, no. The Return to Skull Island I think, technically a sequel to the one that has... Jack Black in it? No, that's not legendary. That was a separate really? thing, yeah. Mm. So they did that one, then they did Return to Skull Island, then they're going to do Godzilla versus King Kong, but realistically, the movie will not be Godzilla and King Kong fighting for the majority of it. It's going to be them fighting, teaming up, and then fighting something new. Because I just want to see a giant gorilla punch monsters. Yeah, well, that's what you're going to see, and Good. I assume it's going to be basically King of Monsters Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. So... I don't know whether they're going to have Mecha Godzilla or what they're going to do. <gasps> don't. Yeah. Don't do that to me. But. I will start masturbating on this podcast. Yeah. So, anyways, I was a big fan of that. I'll br- mention briefly, you probably have more to say about it, but I only saw it the one time. I did like it a lot, but I, I feel like I need to watch it a second time to get a, a full opinion of it. But Midsummer was good. Uh, I know Flex Lexa really loved it. I thought, I thought it was good. It was just, I don't know. There was like too much shit outside of the movie itself with people I talked to and the way people talked about it, that it's hard for me to extricate my own opinion from some of that stuff I was hearing. And so that's kind of why I want to rewatch it, but it was certainly competently made. There was a lot of cool stuff and I've heard some perspectives that are like, Oh, you know, it's just, it's it's like the old savage times versus modern times type of thing. And it's a total misunderstanding of all these like old Swedish rites and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I guess. I don't really care. Like, is it effective as a movie where people die? Generally, yeah, I would say it's pretty good in that way. And there's some good shit in there. All right. Well, on that statement, I'm going to tell you why that's fucking stupid. Okay. And whoever said that, next time they say it to you, you can slap them directly in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Is because... I don't know if we ever mentioned it on the podcast, but... So, Ari Aster, right? Probably my favorite modern... Well, no. Oh, fuck. What's the name of the guy who did The Witch on the Lighthouse? Robert Eggers. Yeah, Robert Eggers is probably my favorite modern horror director. Uh, even though I haven't seen his second movie. Yeah. But The Witch You'll, was just... You will continue to feel that So way. fucking perfect. I might just buy it for $14 on digital night just so I can watch it. Mm. But... Ari Aster, I would say, is a close second, but... There's reasons why I he's slightly lower in my mind. Anyway, in Hereditary, which is a phenomenal movie, yeah, I mean it made our list last year. Yes, they. <laughs> I have I have a I have a Paimon tattoo, Paimon, 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 whatever. Yeah. Uh, tattoo on my wrist. I've had it for almost ten years. So mm-hmm. long before. This movie was perhaps a twinkle in Ari Aster's eye. I've had this tattoo. Mm-hmm. I probably mentioned it when we did the review for mm-hmm. it. So that argument that they got all these rituals incorrect. Now, this is a made-up cult. Not I don't want to say cult, but like a made-up uh, grouping of people that you don't know what the fuck their rituals are. It's all fucking made up. They summoned payment incorrectly. In Hereditary. That's not the way you would have done it via the Lesser of Key of Solomon, which gives you 
the rights of how to summon him. Mm. Nobody bitched about that, did they? No, because it wasn't about another culture. Is this this is a fucking stupid argument? I, um, wait. So what? So like them? Did anybody argue that the way they summoned Payman in but, Hereditary but was incorrect? Yeah, but that's that's. I mean, I don't think that making an argument about the argument they made to review a different movie is a valid way to criticize a criticism of this movie. I think it is. But anyway, so. That's I think that's a stupid point to make, and also this is about a group of people who don't actually exist. Well, I disagree. I mean, so there, there's plenty of writing and history about local cultures in Sweden, and this stuff is based on that information. So, like, that is the foundation of the film. Right, but also their particular group isn't actually one that's from history. Well, I don't know that or not, but I don't I don't think it really matters. I think that the criticism in and of itself doesn't necessarily hurt the film one way or not. Like it's a film, it's probably not striving yeah. for accuracy. That's a fair point. And that to me is the larger issue is people, you know, want to attack things for something that maybe they're not so worried about because like, you know, like most war films always they get the main points right, but then they change a bunch of shit. And people are like, oh, it was a great war film. They, you know, and then nerds who suck are like, well, actually, it didn't happen that way, so it's not a That's good movie. That's what I'm saying. Right. And I would agree with you there that that is a silly way to criticize the film. But I'm just saying that personally, I've heard so many different criticisms of many different schools of thought about the movie that it does make it harder for me to enjoy it without overthinking mm, okay. from how I walked out of the theater. And when I walked out of the theater, I said... I liked that more than Hereditary. I thought that was really good. And I especially liked some of the stuff at the end, and some of it became a meme, but it was it was well done. And there are some extremely brutal parts of the movie that are just, in that sense, I found to be very effective. But it is, to me, the bigger question is, what would I go back to that movie for? And it's harder for me to say much in the same way that like, I really liked hereditary and I really liked it the second time, but now I don't really want to watch it anymore. Whereas the witch, I just want to keep watching. So my thing about hereditary versus midsummer is that hereditary is more of a, like a, more of a bare bones horror movie. Mm -hmm. Now Ari Aster likes to do this thing where, so far, both of his movies are horror movies, but they're about something else, right? Mm -hmm. So, Hereditary is more about family issues, dealing with the death in the family, or abusive parents, or the parent-child relationship. And Midsummer was about breaking up with somebody. So it was a little bit more cut and dry. And I think that Midsummer made me feel a little bit more, only because, like... I've been in those really awkward situations where you want to break up with somebody, but, like, you can't. And, like, you want to you have so to bad, get though. get into a Swedish death cult. Yeah, instead you get into a Swedish death cult and bang a redhead while an older woman pushes on your hips to really get the goo going. But I, I fucking... I liked Midsummer more. Uh, outside of Tony Collette, because I honestly think... Tony Collette should have won like a bunch of fucking awards yeah, for the acting she did it. in Hereditary. Yeah. I still love them both. I think 
if I had to like make a top three film like horror movies that came out in the last ten years, mm-hmm. um, these two and The Witch honestly bump what about off. It follows. They bump it off. No, they don't. They do. They don't. Are you kidding me? Neither one of those movies is half as good as It Follows. Is It oh, Follows no. is so simple and so effective. I'd have to. I'd, ha- I'd have to. I'd have to sit down and rewatch. I, it's been a while since I watched it, even though it's one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. You're just jerking yourself off because you bought me so many posters. Before. Right, and you know that the moment you watch it, you're gonna be like, "This movie shits on this movie." God, it's, it's so much it's more just fun to watch. This and The Witch. Everything else sucks. Well, okay, I'll mention this later, but I. Watched another movie with uh, the titular female in From It Follows, another horror movie. She's not the titular. She's not the it. Well, I guess you're right. But the main character, who's okay. the actress's name, escapes me right now. But I thought Midsummer was very, very well done. I like it for kind of subverting what most horror movies do nowadays, which is go after the ghost crap shit because it's easy, it's quick, and it makes money. Yeah. But, I I don't know. I, I watched it again. I've seen it two more times since we saw it in the theater. And there, the only thing that bothers me about this movie, which I've, I've seen a lot of movies doing, and I don't know why this bothers me, but is the, like, a certain type of shot um, where the camera goes upside down and then stays there, and I don't know what that's trying to convey, other than, like, look, now the camera's upside down, that's cool. And there was one other shot that he did, which I don't understand why, is when they were in the plane, and he goes through the, the, the shot goes through the plane window, and then it's outside, and then it just cuts to the next scene, which I thought was a bit weird, and a bit jarring, but the opening scene of that movie is so visceral, Oh yeah, that's and just really so good. well done, Yeah. And as someone who knows someone who lost somebody recently, a family member, that that cry that I don't know the actress's name, but the that she does in that is so visceral and felt so real. Florence Pugue. Sure. Pugue. Captain Cutie Patootie. Pug. Yeah. And the ending to that movie is great and you should watch it. It was it was really well done. I don't think it's I don't think it's art. Like the witches, I think the witches are in horror, and mm. I think that's something that's very rare right now. The witch is the best movie of the fucking decade. Mm. Anyway, it's definitely the best up horror there. movie. That's easy to say. Yeah, I mean the only movies I think I saw this year that were from 2019 were Ford vs Ferrari, which was like a really fun biopic history thing, and that's not just because I'm more recently into cars, but it was it was well done. I saw Midsummer, Godzilla, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Lighthouse, and Us, and Bird Box. So. Oh, uh, you want to talk about bad movies? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I um, didn't like Us. I thought it was dumb. Also, Bird Box was fucking awful. Yeah. Well, I already said that I put that next to the death of people I know, so. Uh, it wasn't that bad, but it, it was almost that bad. It, it The ending of it was just like, are you fucking kidding me? But, um, yeah, Us was one of those where there was a lot of good acting in it, but it was in service of a movie and plot that was just dumb. I, th- I think towards the end of the movie, it just kind of fell apart. Yeah. Well, I think from pretty much the beginning of the movie, it was falling apart. But, yeah, The Lighthouse, I don't want to say anything until we review it together later, but it certainly... What I can say is it felt like a Lars von Trier movie 
from the 90s, like the early to mid 90s, made 20 years later, 25 years later, and but was it was like Antichrist meets Element of Crime, but then with a very like there's some differences, but and I'm probably mostly because of Willem Dafoe's incredible performance in Antichrist, where he also is like one of only two actors in the whole film. Well, the, so. re- the apparently the reason he did the lighthouse is because he saw the witch and he was like, "This is one of the most incredible fucking modern movies I've ever seen." And Robert Eggers was like, "Do you want to be in this movie?" And he was like, "Yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do." <laughs> yeah, Robert Pattinson's great too. There's no question. I mean, they both have they they work very well together and I have no Robert Pattinson's having like a strange resurgence in his career it's kind of well he's actually been doing it's funny because I talked about this with Alexa after we saw it because she said the same thing and I was like yeah but he's he's been doing Cronenberg movies for like the last decade so he's been working yeah well it's just unfortunately that he got stuck into those vampire movies yeah but not really in the sense of he made an insane amount of money and now can like pursue the movies he wants to and immediately got picked up by David Cronenberg. I haven't seen any of the movies he's done with Cronenberg, and they're supposed to be much better than Eastern Promises and History of Violence, but then people say those movies are good too, so I'm extremely wary. But I believe that he's probably the kind of actor that would work well with Cronenberg, because Cronenberg writes such, like, stiff, weird shit that he has, I think, a performance ability that matches with that. Uh, he's not that stiff, I mean. No, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in, like, he can do that in yeah. a way that works, but... So that's all I have as far as films go uh, that came out this year. But I did want to just do a quick shout-out to a couple killers that we saw. I think my favorite movie... Well, I got the... I got one more oh, sure. this year one. Yeah. Because uh, I actually watched it the other night, and I loved it. Because it was a couple days ago. Mm. Mariah and I watched a movie called Villains. It stars Bill Skarsgård. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And How was it? Micah Monroe, who's the girl from It Follows. It was incredible it almost felt like a home alone for adults okay it's that classic formula of people breaking into the wrong house and it was a really good mixture of horror and comedy which i know isn't really your thing although i saw the previous for it that looked that looked interesting it was the acting was i mean the other two people in it the supporting cast are jeffrey donovan and kira sedgwick yeah. They are everybody in this movie is so fucking phenomenal. And it's this weird almost power struggle between like one couple who's extremely in love and another couple who's extremely in love. And long story short, no spoilers cuz I haven't seen it. I'll just give you the setup uh, which you've probably seen in the trailer. A couple who are running from the law uh break into this house. And the two people there happen to be crazy. So, but it's it's so enjoyable. Mm. I can't remember, you know, like, horror movies a lot of times now, if they make me truly uncomfortable, I'm like, this is a good horror movie. Yeah. But it's, I feel like it's been a while since I sat down and watched a movie that I, that was just enjoyable. Well, you, and, okay, I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. So, but the one movie I just was reminded of I didn't see this year, but came out this year I wanted to see was The House That Jack Built. You saw that, right? Yes. And you liked that a lot? I loved that movie. But it's like four hours long, right, or something? It's like three and a half. Yeah, nice. It's very long, and it's very avant-garde. Yeah. 
it, it I thought it was really good. It's a very realistic depiction of a serial killer, which is like a bit scary. It almost reminds this is gonna this might age check me and it also might tell you what kind of nerd I was when I was younger. It almost had a more adult, less comedy written version of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Okay. That whole aspect of like I can't get caught and I'm gonna keep killing. Hmm. But it is it's a very interesting movie, I guess just to touch on the House of Jack Built very very quickly. It's uh and this is the very beginning of the movie, so this isn't spoiling anything, but he is being led through hell by Virgil from Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. If anyone is up to date on their classic literature about hell uh, from the Divine Comedy. And he's going over certain points from his life. And it's very, very well done. There are some shots that are very Von Trayer, very like art housey, where uh, oh god, what's the name of the actor who plays Matt him? Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon is holding like cards that say things and like flipping them off as he's talking. There's you know parts where it's like not even the movie where like there's like slight animations, I guess, or like almost like a video collage of things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that movie is if you've got the time, mm-hmm. it is totally worth it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, villains was just a fun ride. Yeah, it's it's just a fun movie. I haven't had that much fun watching a movie in a while. I feel like not, at least a movie that I didn't haven't seen a thousand times. Yeah, you know what I mean. But no, it was good, especially as someone who doesn't like most modern comedies. I find them boring, but this was this made me laugh quite a few times, and that was enjoyable. So see that, see the house that Jack built. They're both good. Well, wonderful. I appreciate those recommendations. Uh, neither of us have seen Uncut Gems or Knives Out, both of which at least I really want to see and are supposed to be two of the best movies of the year. So I've heard. I didn't realize Knives Out was PG-13, though. Yeah, I'm fine with that. There's a bunch of cutie pies in it. Well, I love Daniel Craig, so. Yeah, and the chick who plays the sexy android in Blade Runner 2049. Uh-huh. It? And isn't... Tony Collette. Yeah, there's a lot of good actors in that movie. Yeah, it looked like one of those that was either an ensemble turned to shit or would be awesome and it's supposed to be just awesome. So I almost went out and saw that on my birthday day, but we ran out of time because mm. I wanted to get a pedicure. Mm. I got one. Yeah, mm. my toenails are purple. Mine are, uh, they got crimson. Oh, that's hot. Yeah, you want to see? I'll show you after. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll stare at each other's feet after. Okay. So, all right, all right, all right. So anyways, highlights of the year. Otherwise, Sonatine by Takeshi Katana was my <gasps> favorite movie I saw in the whole year. I watched it twice, and both times it was just like, this is it. This is the kind of slow, boring-ass cinema I fucking love. Um, Angst by Carol Cargill. Cargill. From 1983. We haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. It's based on real murders. I've been wanting to watch it for years. I've been asking Flex Lexa to buy it for me for years. And then Ben the fucking Beardo comes through. I fucking stepped up. Stepped up big. We watched it right before he got it for me. And it was... I I think you liked it a little less than me. For me, it was a combination of... Apparently, the soundtrack was written before the film itself was even made. And they just made the film to the soundtrack. Which rules. 
So interesting. Yeah. And, no, I loved it. It, it was just it's it's one of those movies mm. that if the next day you were like, do you want to watch that again? Because I feel like there's a lot of movies that you could ask that question of me, and mm. I say yes. Yeah. That is not one of them. Okay. Very much like I loved Cannibal Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to watch it for another year. Mm. Yeah, I thought Cannibal Holocaust was pretty rough. I didn't. I didn't find this movie to be that rough, partially because I think I was I had steeled myself for something rougher than it was, mm. and the fact that one of the I'd say he was a character characters of the film that yeah. I thought was going to die didn't die was a big deal. The way the movie ended was probably one of it's like I don't I don't know if it's in my top ten, but it's up there as far as movie endings go. Yeah. It was pretty fucking great. Yeah, and they, there was just like one character that you thought for sure was gonna die because the main dude's a psycho, and the character didn't. And I was just so relieved. Just, if that just it, tell the people because in case they he's a the wiener movies, dog. Yeah, he's a little dachshund boy, and he's so he's such a good boy. And the whole time I was like, if they kill that fucking dog, I'm throwing this goddamn TV out the window. And Ben was like, this is my TV, and uh, he didn't. And so you can rest easy and watch the movie. And The dog doesn't die. Yeah, you dog. heard it here first. Yeah. So that was really big for me. And as a result, I could watch that movie many times. And about. you guys can watch it if you have Shudder for free. And it's like, what, 80 minutes if it's that long? It was like 70 yeah, it's minutes. Pretty sh- it's pretty short. Yeah. I think the only other movie I saw that was that short that I watched this year that was very good, which I'm not going to say anything about. It was like an hour and 15 minutes. It's on Netflix. It's called... In the eyes of my mother, or the eyes of my mother, mm. go give that a tr- go give that a try when you're alone. Well, it's we a dark watched Bullet night. Ballet, which is under that's like an hour and twenty minutes, hour and fifteen minutes, if that. I'd say this is closer to angst, though. Okay. Uh, so, Slugs by Juan Piquer Simone. Uh, I fucking loved that movie. Was great. It was so fun. Uh, Shinya Sukamoto. All the films that we've basically talked about <laughs> already that I hadn't seen before: Bullet Ballet, and. Tokyo Fist oh, were Bullet Ballet was incredible. So good. Yeah, they were really incredible. And the Outrage series by Takeshi Kitano. Fucking loved it. I want to rewatch the third one because I was falling asleep by the time we got into that, but it ended really well. It was a lot of fun. And I can't even, they're all starting to blur already. But yeah, Candyman which I got to see for the first time yeah. this year, was awesome. And then the other one that I don't have on the list, but uh, Evil Dead Trap and Organ. Yeah, those were really good. Did we talk about the pink films we watched or anything? Oh, no. Uh, so, I mean, those don't really fall into pink films, but... No, but they were, it was yeah, we got within a, the part same of the, vein. Yeah, well, they're, and they're all part of the same box. So, yeah, so I got this box from Unearthed... No, from Synapse. That's Evil Dead Trap, which has... It's famous in part because it features a famous uh, JAV, like, porno model actress who's in it, who gets killed pretty quick, but it's... The name is silly, but the movie... Well, the movie's silly, too, but (laughs) it's very... It's got a ton of incredible death scenes. It's long and drawn out. It's hugely indebted to Argento, but done through a Japanese found footage-y kind of horror film, but, like, pre-found footage, but very much that aesthetic. Uh, It's pretty decently gory and I just thought it was a ton of fun. The only bad part is they've got a pretty killer theme, but they hammer that shit throughout the oh, movie man. over and over that can get a little tiresome. 
but I mostly don't really mind. The ending is fucking bananas. The last 15 minutes of the movie is just like, ah, I just throw it all in, just get, get nuts. So that was really good. Organ we've talked about several times. Uh, we're not going to go into that, but that's in the box set. And then there's uh, Guts or Entrails, depending on translation, of a beautiful woman and Guts or Entrails of a Virgin, which are two Japanese uh, pink horror films. And they, they're they basically softcore pornos with very light horror elements, but monsters... To the point where my wife came down the next day and was like, were you and Frank watching Japanese porn? And I was like, no, why? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but... Ver- Entrails of a Virgin was... I enjoyed it so thoroughly that that is now my new noise project is Virgin Entrails, which is directly correlated to that. And I also sampled a bunch of stuff from for the live tour and for some new songs and whatever. So they are really dumb, but a ton of fun. And as long as you're watching it with a buddy who is, you know, chill or whatever, like, you know, it's it's a horny time. Yeah, like, you know, whatever. If you guys, like, got blankets over you or, you know, yeah. we're not going to get into Yeah, that. right. You do you, but you will be doing you, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, those were, those were pretty cool. There's a lot of uh, Nikatsu... Nikatsu, like, violent pink films that I hope to watch in the future and were one of the things I was talking a lot about with Keith before he passed, but anyway. So... Those movies, I absolutely... All of those, that whole set, I absolutely loved. I think... It's hard to say, but I think as far as... Movies that you and I specifically watched together and not at different times. Outrage was probably my favorite. Mm. And then Bullet Ballet was like a close fucking second. Mm-hmm. Because I, I loved that movie. We watched another... Well, uh, what was the one with the plant guy? Oregon? Was it Oregon? Was that Oregon? Which one? What plant guy? Where he was keeping the guy. Was that Oregon? I think it was yeah. Oregon. Yeah, yeah, it was Oregon. There's butterflies in my tummy. She hangs upside down and starts tripping balls. Yeah. Guts and goop. God, we watched a lot of Japanese movies this year. We, not a lot we of jo- watched. Not a lot of giallo. No, not many. Well, because we've really, we've, we've gone through so much of the good stuff that there's very few things. I mean, we watched, because I think it was last year that we watched uh, The Slasher is the Sex Maniac for the first time. So yeah. we don't even have that. That was a good one, though. Kind of. <laughs> it was a fun one. I liked one. it. I yeah. liked it. Did we start Female Prisoner this year? Or was that last year? Uh, I guess we started that series this year, too. That's been fun. That's, That's been, been fun. fun. Yeah, we're still sitting. We've only watched two, but we've got... We might have started that last year, but I think it was this year. Yeah. I think it was this year. I know Mandy was last year, because we watched it on my birthday, and I know you didn't like it, but I thought it was enjoyable. And... One one more I want to mention, because I think it's worth a watch, and I hope that the director understands where he went wrong in the movie, but I really enjoyed it, just for this actual simple story of it, was Antrim. Uh, the opening of the movie is unnecessary. There's like, if, if they pulled certain things out of the movie, it would have been up there with movies that I like, like It Follows, and not The Witch. The Witch is a different level. We we don't compare movies to that movie. No. But with that and Ari Aster's stuff, but 
because they're like the bones of the thing were very good but it opens up as this like found footage movie and the first like eight minutes are people talking about this movie that makes people kill themselves and go crazy and then they show the actual movie which is super a super interesting concept where a I guess like a teenage girl and her brother go out to these woods because his dog was put down. He's convinced that the dog went to hell. And it fucked him up really badly. So she brings him out there to these woods saying, this is these are the woods where when the devil was cast out of heaven, he hit earth here on his way to hell. So when we dig here, we can dig our way to hell and get her back. And the relationship between them and the music and the way it's shot and some of the things that happen in it are very well done and very good and very creepy. But then there's also, and they mention it at the end where they go back to this whole like, this is a movie that kills people thing where there's like pentagrams thrown in there and like summoning sigils and like they'll like flash real quick. And you're like, that's dumb. But my wife bought it for me for the holidays and I'm not upset she did. But you can rent it for like three bucks on Amazon. I think it's worth a watch. It's fun. We got a lone afternoon. That sums up our movie best of of the year. Watching for the first time or um, that came out in 2019. I want to give a special mention. I've talked about most of these shows on the podcast, so I'm not going to go into it. But seeing Morbid Angel in March was really a cool experience because it got me into Morbid Angel after trying to be into them for the past 16 years of my life. I finally, it finally clicked. Seeing Rectal Hygienic Stimulant Mellow Harsher in Chicago when I was on tour was also fantastic, but you can check out our episode about the Conquer Mascara tour where I go into detail about that. For the rest of it, uh, I mostly saw bands I'd seen before, so uh, I saw Neurosis and Bellwitch, which was really good but was probably not my favorite time that I've seen Neurosis. It was solid. It just was, but it was, I don't know. It's just nice to see them. I'm glad that they're still touring and they've been doing this for so long. I saw Emulation and Blood Incantation both for the second time. That was really good, but I sadly missed a bunch of the Blood Incantation set because I was outside chatting it up with friends. Um, and, but was nice. Emulation was much better than when I saw them with Morbid Angel earlier in the year. I saw Mortician for the third time. And that was probably the best set I've seen them do, although I still prefer the first time I saw them just for the craziness of that whole thing. And then I saw Tomb Mold for the first time, which was fucking sick. And probably, aside from the Morbid Angel and Rectal Hygienic show, the most fun I had at a show, because it was at Kung Fu Neckties, it was hot, it was sweaty, it was good death metal, it was all crammed in there. And then I saw Nile at Voltage in November, which started kind of rough, they got the sound fixed after maybe the second song, and then was just a ton of fun. And it was cool because I'd been listening to a shitload of Nile leading up to it, so I was yeah, pretty much in touch with all of their discography. So I more or less knew every song that they were playing and could kind of bob my head along, and their new stuff sounded really good. And they just came out and brought it, even though they just had a bunch of big lineup changes and everything else. They played super tight, and... It was just, like, fun. I mean, you know, they're not a serious band, but I like tons of not serious stuff. Not everything has to be, you know, intellectually uh, stimulating in, no. in, in a high brain sense. So, so yeah, so I guess we'll wrap it up with video games, and then we will, uh, 
I think that'll that'll cap off 2019 pretty pretty fully. Yeah. So I want to top the list, even though I didn't technically play it this year, but it's probably my favorite game I've played in the last decade. Mm. In all honesty, Hollow Knight. Mm. If you like Metroidvanias, and you have the ability to download and play this game, fucking go play it. Mm. That game is incredible. As far as Metroidvanias go, it's the most skill-based out of all the ones I've played, and I've fucking played a lot over the last Mm. decade. Mm. So, go play that fucking game. If you don't, you're an idiot. I want to mention like a few games I played this year that were kind of letdowns in my opinion. Okay. Um the new Pokemon not uh, don't get me wrong, Pokemon's like a like a blanket for me and they're I'm in my 30s, right? They're not made for me anymore. Pokemon is the highest growing IP in the world. It makes more money than fucking Mickey Mouse does. Mhm. More, more than Star Wars, more than Marvel, more than anything else. Pokemans. Pokemans. I am a little disappointed with the newest one. Not because it's not hard enough. I just feel like Game Freak got a bit lazy. And I don't know who they're making the games for. I don't think Game Freak wants to make Pokemon anymore. But... Like I said, it's the highest grossing IP in the world, and Nintendo's like, fucking make us Pokemon. We need to make more money. The the Star Wars game. Uh, Fallen Order? Mm. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. I unfortunately think it's going to... It would be like a similar review to my Spider-Man one, which was... Had a ton of fun with it. I haven't finished it yet. Had a ton of fun with it. I th- it, I think it's going to be one of those games that's forgettable. Yeah. It's not... I don't think it's something that's going to... It's not... It's not stick the with me. Knights of the Old Republic. No. No, 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 no. But it's nice to see a Star Wars game that was good again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's been such a long time. But my top three games that I've played this year... We're going to go with... The worst, although still incredible, to the best. Okay. Bottom of the list, Resident Evil 2 Remake. Okay. Game is fucking incredible. 100% worth the buy. Mm-hmm. My main issue with it is that I've already beaten that game years ago. Mm-hmm. But I fucking love that game. I don't like it more than Resident Evil 7. Mm-hmm. Resident Evil 7 mm-hmm. is one of my favorite games mm. ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I don't like it more than Resident Evil 7 because I didn't try anything different, really. Mm. But that game is incredible. It looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so much. It was so much fun to play, and so much more fear was put into me while playing that game because mm. it's so much harder to kill the fucking zombies. And they take so much more, and that resource management is just... Mm, so mm. good. Love so that. good. Love that. Just above that is something that I... Don't didn't think I'd ever play a game of and love so much. Coward. And it's a game that I beat pretty quickly. Super Mario Party. Yes, because you can beat Super Mario Party. Untitled Goose Game. Ah. Uh. Oh man. That it, it's just such it's such a wholesome 
and wonderful experience. It's heartwarming and fun and like what's better than being an asshole goose? And the way the game development team did it, House House, is there are like musical stings set perfectly to like when you do asshole things, which makes it even more funny. Mm -hmm. And the game is just beautiful and it's super accessible to everybody. It's something you can very easily pick up and it doesn't, it's one of those games where you play it and it doesn't matter if you're playing well. You're just having fun. You're trying new things. It's technically a puzzle solving game, I'd say, but mm. who the fuck cares? You can just have, you can waste an hour just being a goose and not getting anything fucking done. You don't have to worry about the list of the to-do list. You can just be a goose. Yeah. And most of that stuff you will get done through experimentation. I'd say it's got a lot of energy that is shared with Katamari Damacy in the sense that yeah. it's like visually and play style wise just fun. I think Katamari is a little bit different, but I mean, it's a lot of it different, but I having played both I feel like I, I got similar kinds of kicks out of just like the general just kind of thing the way they present everyone who I've let play it because a lot of people have come over and I've turned on my switch mm -hmm. to play whatever with them and they're like you got that goose game huh let yeah, me uh, you got one of them goosey boys let me get that goose game uh huh and that game memed so fucking hard but anyway that brings me and yes I haven't beaten it yet shut the fuck up but, game of the year. Coward. Game of the fucking year. Probably one of the best games that I've ever played is Sekiro. And it improved on something that was an issue, and still is an issue, with me for like the Dark Souls series. Mm. Because... Playing Dark... I've, I've played, I want to say... Bloodborne more than the Souls game. I've played mm. some of Dark Souls 3 and I've played some of Dark Souls 1. Never played Dark Souls 2. Bloodborne I've played a lot more strangely enough without you. But I've seen 90% of the game with you on the sticks. Sekiro feels more strategic than those games do. And there was something that felt more accessible for me about that, the parry system in that, and the sneaking, and everything. I fucking love Sekiro. I love that game. I, it was very hard at the time when I got it to play as much of it as I liked. You had a newborn baby. I had a newborn. I also was working like anywhere from 40 to 60 hours a week. And it was very hard for me to punish myself, so to speak, by throwing myself at a boss for a number of hours and not getting anywhere as soon as I got home because I was only home for like maybe two hours yeah. before I went to bed anyway. Um, while I've been sick, let's say, while I've been out of work due to the big stab, I've gotten to play a lot more of it. And the game is so beautifully done. And it's it's all for the fighting system for me. I think that environmentally... And character design-wise, Dark Souls and Bloodborne overtake it. Because the environments in those games are just something fucking else. Especially Bloodborne. That game is gorgeous. But the gameplay in Sekiro is just so well done and so tight that it's, it's 
it's the best game that came out in 2019, hands down. Do you think otherwise, Dick Fetty? No. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to mention Red Dead Redemption 2, because uh, as much fun as I had with that game, I thought it was a bit bloated. What about... Death Stranding? I haven't had a chance to truly get into it. I haven't been in the right mindset. The issue with that game is you kind of have to want to play art, like strictly to play art, and mm -hmm. I haven't wanted that as of late. I made the mistake of trying to play it when I first got home from the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And it just, it, it was not gelling. It, it, it just didn't work for me because like I wanted to complete tasks in games and the, the the whole game is walking, which is fine. I don't see anything wrong with that because there is a strategy to it, and the game... Yeah, it's left foot, right foot. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're so smart. God, you're so smart. Um, the game does have strategy to it, and the game is trying to convey loneliness, and it does that very well, and it does these musical parts very well when you get to certain like parts of the map and everything and the characters are really cool and the idea is really cool and there is combat so it isn't just walking and the, you feel for the characters Kojima make your text fucking bigger I've got a decently sized TV and I couldn't see what the fuck any of the prompts were so fucking fix that Bro, please. You know I love you. Get Just... glasses, dude. You need glasses. Shut up. I don't need glasses. I got perfect vision. You need glasses. I say as you wear glasses. And you're a blind boy. I haven't... I, I haven't... I can't give an honest read on Death Stranding yet. Sure. I mean, there's there's other games uh, that I haven't... That I have just because of holidays and birthdays and stuff that I haven't really gotten into. I've got Luigi's Mansion... Three, that what I've played of it's been fun and I've got the new Fire Emblem which I love Fire Emblem I really do it's one of my favorite strategy RPGs uh, I got Fire Emblem Three Houses haven't really gotten to play that much of it yet and there's you know there's a ton of games that aren't from you know 2019 that I fucking love that I've played we've been playing the shit out of Enter the Gungeon like nobody's fucking business I have been playing a lot of Deadly Premonition with you, which we need to pick up again. You know, there there's a lot of good video games that came out this year. Yeah, I, think... I mean to to jump through that list real quick, so I'm just I just did the old Google. The ones we haven't mentioned that either we haven't played or whatever. Uh The Outer Worlds, Devil May Cry five. Gears... I've played Devil May Cry five. Kingdom Hearts three. I hated that game. And what's the code vein? Bloodstained. And I can touch on most of those real quick outside of code vein. No, no, I think I think we're. I don't want to. Kingdom Hearts is too easy. Uh, Devil May Cry is okay. If if you want to play a pretty good hack and slash, play that. Bloodstained, go out and buy it. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. So. Yeah, it seems like, I'm sure there's other games, and I think I have some other indie ones. I mean, the only, so to just jump on to what you were saying, 
I've played very few games this year. Enter the Gungeon is probably the one I've had the most fun with, but we had a lot of fun with that last year, too. Uh, and I played a little bit of PUBG again this year. I get to... I basically have two to three weekends a year where I can play video games for two to three days straight. You're still playing PUBG? Yeah. Okay, boomer. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's okay. That's a fun game. And <laughs> so... So yeah, so I have two to three weekends to play games for a couple days in a row. Most of those weekends turn into PUBG weekends because they happen with my buddy Jared. And we have a lot of fun doing that. It's like a social activity. I played a little bit of Counter-Strike Geo again this year. And I played, what was the other one? Some other shit. But the only like new games that I played, I played Sekiro. I played Ace Combat 7. And... I think I played one other game that was new. But I finally beat Yakuza 2 for the PS2 uh, that I started in 2017. Oh my god, are you going to start a new game, maybe? Oh, yeah, I started Ace Combat 7. Ah, not Resident Evil 7, huh? Nope. And I still have not beat Nier Automata, which I started two years ago. Working on that. <laughs> yeah, you'll beat it by the time my kid's in elementary school. Yeah, probably. And then... I've been working on Sekiro, not steadily, but, I mean, I've been making my way through it. So the the only way I've been able to play Sekiro, basically, is to go to my buddy Weston's house and to play it for 12 hours straight or 6 hours straight, and then not play it for another two months. So you don't even play your copy? No, I have my copy. I bring my PS4 over. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's the only way that I can... And, hey, Red Dead Redemption 2 came out last year. Did it? Yeah, because I got it for Christmas. Huh. I guess you're right. But, anyway, so, Sekiro has been amazing, and... Well, what I'll say is, I... In some ways, it's the ultimate refinement of the sort of From Software, Soulsborne, Sekiro, whatever, universe thing... And they have condensed the whole deal into something incredibly tight and way more linear, obviously. I mean, it's just, oh, it is God, just, yeah. it's just the path that you take. And there's a couple little detours in uh, optional areas, but it's not, it is not Bloodborne or Dark Souls in that sense. You have basically a handful of weapons you've got, you know, and, and there's very little to no customization. And you just learn how to play the game's gameplay loop, or you don't progress. And I find that to be really admirable, and I love that they took a chance to make such a big deal game that was so hyped up, and then just be like, get good, more than ever, get good or don't play. But it is, I agree, difficult, because when you're not in the zone, it takes hours to get back really into the rhythm of the game at least for me and maybe it's because i'm 32 and not 22 or 16 but i struggle with it and then i will hit my stride and by the time i'm really grooving it's two o'clock in the morning and i'm not going to play it for another two months and that's what happens so every time i go to weston's we beat like two to four bosses i get a little bit further and i'm now in the last probably third of the game but it's taken me nine months to get that far and Unlike Dark Souls, which, because of their options and also their layout, it's really easy to just, like, kick back and play it for a couple hours and 
partially because I've beaten all three games like so very thoroughly. They're not a struggle for me, but their combat is also way less about precision timing. And basically, instead of they're like Sekiro's like Beat Mania, and these and then Dark Souls are just not rhythm action games. But like that's what Sekiro is. It's just Beat Mania with a samurai sword, to me, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I can see that. So, and I I love that, but it's like I can't always do that, and I get very tilted with all games I play. And when I start to do badly, I super tilt and can't play, and I struggle with that in Dark Souls. But Sekiro, it's like. I have to walk away for hours. It's not the game I've had the most fun with this year. Sure. But it is the best game. Yeah, I mean, as a full experience and, like, a fully crafted, like, we've done everything, here it is. It's it's perfect. Like, there's no chinks in the armor to work, you know what I mean? Like, it, it does it all that I would want it to do. But I just, I agree. And that's the thing that I find... Like, Dark Souls was... I spent the first eight hours of the first Dark Souls just trying to get through on Deadburg, being like, this game is broken, I don't understand how I'm supposed to enjoy this. I spent the next hundred hours beating Dark Souls 1 for the first time, and really enjoying it, but, like, still never learning how to play the game truly. I then beat Dark Souls... Well, then I beat it two more times. Then I beat Dark Souls 2, and still struggled, and it was not until I beat Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin, that I finally under... Like, I was truly able to to play the game in a different, more thoughtful way where it was way less about uh, back and forth attacks and, and damage um, trading and all that kind of stuff and like truly just like learning every moveset and just not getting hit and then occasionally even parrying and doing all that, that the games opened up. And then the third game was like an amazing experience because it was like, I know how to play Dark Souls now. But you don't have to play that way. You can play with a shield, which I've never done because I'm not a fucking giant bitch. But, you know, that's possible. You can play with magic if you're a soft boy. But, you know. Anyways, Sekiro so doesn't... pretty much anyone who plays the game without a giant sword isn't good? No, or a samurai sword. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, but Sekiro doesn't give you any of those options. It says, here's this game as it is. Play it or don't. And Bloodborne does that, but not as much. And I also just find Bloodborne's Bloodborne still has more sprawl to it, where Sekiro is essentially just a series of boss fights, more so than any of the other games. I find that most of the areas are relatively short. Your exploration is done once or twice. Like, that's all you need. Yeah, exploration in Sekiro is not crazy. Yeah. And, like, your XP... Because you're not harvesting blood souls, you're getting straight-up XP and then leveling, and you're using that to buy moves, is a very different thing than having to upgrade... All your weapons, all your armor, all your this, all your that. So the it's streamlined. Yeah, it's highly streamlined, and in that way, it's fine. But it is like, if I could, if I, if I was still drinking, if it was me ten years ago, blood, it would be I would be in love. But because I don't have the kind of time that Sekiro demands to get maximum enjoyment and also like sort of get maximum flow into, I just can't love it the same way that Dark Souls or Bloodborne. I, I like Bloodborne more. I, on the whole, I, I like, I very much, I love the fighting system in Sekiro, but Bloodborne is an amalgamation of all the things I like out of entertainment. Yeah. So, like, there's no, there's, yeah. like, I can't get past that. I know. Well, that, I mean, that really is the thing is like, I mean, I'm a huge weeb and I love samurai films and all this kind of stuff and it does lots of things right, but Bloodborne is HP Lovecraft, steampunky, nightmare fuel with a ultra twitchy combat system that's actually not that twitchy once you get to know it and the characters that are in it are just fucking rules yeah 
So, anyways, I think that about wraps up 2019 as thoroughly as one could Bloodborne do. Bloodborne's the best game of 2019. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you so much for bearing with us in our, our two-month absence. We're happy that we're back. I'm happy that Ben's not in a hospital bed. Oh, fucking finally, yeah, am I right? Like, look like Ray in Evangelion. And uh, I did jerk off over you, if you as if you were Oscar, though. So, but... Uh, did he jerk off or did he just nut? No, he jerked off, yeah. Did you did you nut on your hand and go, I'm so fucked up? No, I nutted on you. That's what that was. Yeah. So, but anyways, we're we're thrilled to be back. Check us out on Instagram, Motahel Podcast. Check us out on Facebook, the same Gmail. It's all Motahel Podcast. Um, we're going to probably do an episode, Best Records from the Decade. I'm going to try to keep it trim but also want to get into that stuff probably talk about best video games of the decade as well and uh you know as soon as we can get back to it we'll finish our shinya sukamoto story or um series and then you know be back on track so later nerds later